0: I want to uh, wish a very happy Mother's Day to all our moms here in our congregation. Those of you that uh, give us so much love and grace, uh, super grateful. But I also want to apologize. Um, I realized it's supposed to be a happy day, uh, Mother's Day. It's supposed to be a time of joy. And uh, my friends were just pointing out to me just before we came out how everyone had these festive colors, and I'm wearing gray and black. So uh, I'm a downer today, and I apologize. Let me just. Apologize for that. I'm not quite sure why, but this morning when I got up, I was like, I looked outside and I just got that feeling. It's a gray and black kind of a day. I'll be honest with you, I, I want to complain a little bit. Is that all right? I want to complain a little bit. It's May right? It's, it's full on May. It's not June gloom. If it was June gloom, I'd get that. But it's May. It's supposed to be sunshine and spring. It's supposed to be good to be outside. But last night, it, it rained. It rained. And I don't know if you're like this, but I'm that kind of person that sometimes what's going on affects me. Are you that kind of person? Or are you the kind of person that no matter what is going on outside, the sun is always shining on the inside? Are you that kind of person that no matter how bad things are, you're just ready to go, excited for the day? Or do you know someone like that? Uh, do (laughs) Do you have a friend who just, you know, annoys you because they're so happy and so cheerful no matter what's happening they're like yes it is a good day to be alive do you know anyone like that uh uh, maybe you do maybe you don't if you do and you're not that kind of person you might identify with me how could they possibly be so happy so cheery when things don't look so good it's exactly the arguments theologians make about The authorship of the letter we've been reading. How can the person who writes this letter be so happy when their circumstances don't seem so good? Uh, Open your Bibles, please, the book of Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter Uh, 4. We've been reading the book of Ephesians the last several weeks here in our church community because I, I believe, I am convinced. I believe that Ephesians is the next chapter or the next book, the next, the next step in our journey. See, we began by studying the life of Christ through the book of Mark. But I believe that Ephesians is what happens next. It's the what now conversation. And in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, the author says this. Are you there with me? Say amen if you've got Ephesians 4. Amen. amen. All right. If you're not there, there's a pew, There's a Bible in a pew in front of you. Get there. Get to Ephesians. Read Ephesians chapter 4. Listen, Ephesians is a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, and um, I'd hate for you to miss it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then... I, urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received and if you are a theologian if you do some background research some studies here you'll find that uh, most theologians believe that according to uh, biblical history and tradition that it is paul who is writing this letter while he is in prisoner so his expression here as a prisoner of the lord isn't like a metaphor he literally is in jail literally is imprisoned and he is imprisoned in Rome So he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Last week we read the prayer just before this. You remember just before this in chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, Paul says, and I pray, and I pray that with all the saints you might be able to grasp, remember how wide and how long and how deep and how high is the love of Christ Jesus, and that you might know this love. See, that, that particular prayer and and if you look at ephesians there's several places like this where it sounds not like a letter from a prisoner it sounds like a psalm like like someone is sitting on the mountaintop somewhere contemplating the beauty of the world and writing these odes to god but the author himself says as a prisoner for the lord see Maybe you're not aware, maybe I told you last week, you don't remember, but um, Paul had been reclaimed, repurposed. Uh, he used to be called Saul, but, but when God got a hold of him, and when Jesus presented himself to him, he, he changed his life, he transformed him, he repurposed him, he reclaimed him and gave him a new name, Paul. And this new person, Paul, was doing something completely different from what he used to do before. What he used to do before is try to hunt down anybody who claimed to believe in Jesus and try to just kind of wipe them, erase them from the earth. But what he was doing now was spreading the message of Jesus far beyond anyone else's intentions. This person here, this Paul, uh, had felt compelled that his task was was to spread the message of Jesus beyond the walls of Judaism, beyond the lives in the circle of the Jews. And he was actually quite successful at it. In fact, so successful that it got him in trouble. It's fascinating. Uh, Paul began to preach that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of not just believers, but for the sins of unbelievers. Paul began to preach that Jesus, all, the entire entirety of Mark is, is, is a, a pretext to what Paul is saying. That Jesus came to suffer and to be killed for the salvation of mankind, for the redemption of mankind, including those who were far away from the God. So if you you read what we read here in chapter 2, Paul says, You used to be foreigners. You used to be in exile. You used to be far away. But everyone, through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, has been brought near. And you're no longer foreigners. You're no longer strangers. He says, In fact... We all were at one point dead in our transgressions. What is the transgression? An aggression that has crossed the line. It's gone too far. And we deserve God's wrath. But God who is rich in mercy. Y'all, y'all forgot? It's chapter 2. God who is rich in mercy. That's why I repeat myself. God who is rich in mercy has, has given us a new opportunity. And, and Paul says, Jesus Christ died but he also resurrected so that you and I might come alive. And so what he spends the next the rest of his letter is helping us understand how we come alive. How we come alive. That's why in his prayer right there, Paul says, and so I pray that you would, if you could just capture how wide and long and high and deep the love of Jesus, you might, you might come alive. If you could just catch a glimpse. And then he begins to unpack it with these words. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. See, if you read it, if you read it, and if you read any of other Paul's writings, this actually does not sound like Paul. It's too, how shall we say, uh, it makes too much sense. It's, it flows off the tongue nicely. Most of Paul's writings are choppy, broken down by prepositional phrase after prepositional f- phrase. If you read Romans, for example, it's complex, it's complicated. Uh, but, but in Ephesians, he seems to be actually like on a stage somewhere preaching. He seems to be saying words that will kind of flow to live a life. And in fact, if you've ever wanted to do it, if you ever, not that you would, because who dreams about being a preacher, right? Nobody does that. That's like a nightmare. Uh, do you know the number one fear people have is public speaking, to be exactly where I am. But, but if you ever have this dream and you want to pretend, all you got to do is read Paul's writings here in Ephesians and just add a little volume. A cadence is called to live a life worthy of the calling. You see it? You feel it? All you got to do that is say that a few times. It's so beautiful what he writes. Uh, listen, he's, he'll say, he'll say I, I pray that you will grasp how high. You just, you just have to do a little cadence. How wide? You see it? You're a little up, a little down. That's what preachers do anyway. So if you've ever dreamed about it, he writes this great material here. In fact, if, 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 if you look, he's going to continue to add and pile on some of this beautiful beautiful language this is as a prisoner for the lord i urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received be completely humble gentle whatever be patient who cares about that Bear one wait, wait, wait. make every effort to keep no no, no. then then the, because there is one body here we go one spirit just as you were called to one hope one lord one faith one baptism one god father of all who is over all and through all and in all See, Paul is like the first Southern Baptist preacher. <laughs> no one finds that funny, but I do. That's fine. <laughs> he's like, he's got the, you know, he's do, he's he a seven ones right there. You see, it's perfect seven. He's like doing this. Elo- that's why. That's why in the in the in the twentieth century, nineteenth, twentieth century theologians said, "Let's wait a minute. This is too good for someone who is in prison. It doesn't make sense." Someone who would be in jail to be writing such beautiful language. And if you know anything about Paul's story, this is his first imprisonment. Um, He gets released after about, give or take, four years in captivity. And as soon as he gets released, he goes right back to doing the things that got him in trouble in the first place. And so they catch him again, but this time they don't let him go. They kill him. He is martyred. But while he has the opportunity, he pens these words, knowing fully well what awaits him. And he says, and he says, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. It's a fascinating statement here because it, it, it confuses many people. It makes us think that somehow we have to become worthy. But, but if you read it closely, that's not what he's saying. See, he already told us in chapter 2 that we have been brought near. We were once foreigners, but we were not. We were dead. That's what we deserve. So according to us, all that we deserve from God is his anger. But God, who is rich in mercy but God who is rich in mercy does not give us what we deserve he instead invites us to be made alive to awaken into a new life and in this new life that's what Paul says that you have been given by God then live that life as if you understand that it is a gift that has been given to you as if you understand that what you actually deserve was his anger his wrath but instead you are being given a new gift a new life it is free you don't deserve it so live as if you understand that it is by grace does that make sense are you capturing that He's not saying, okay, now be worthy of the sacrifice. That's not what he's saying whatsoever. He's saying the sacrifice has already been made. Why? Because God's love is high and wide and long because he is rich in mercy. All that we have received is not because of us. It is because of him. But now that we have received it, Paul says, then use it. Then use it. Come alive. Come alive. Look at this. Verse 7, chapter 4. Read along with me. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. I just need you to understand that. I need you to capture that. I need you and us and you as an individual and we together as a family to understand that verse. I need you to see what, what, what brushstrokes Paul is using here, what picture he is painting. See, most of us are here because at some point or some juncture in some way, shape or form, we have captured the essence of the book of Mark. The gospel, according to Mark, that Jesus came to die for men's sins. We celebrate and commemorate his death on a cross. We take up the emblems and we as a church have always professed Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified. In some way, shape or form, we are here because we believe that through him we find forgiveness for our past. Some way that Jesus says, look, I'm not going to hold that against you. And we are here because we believe that somehow that, that gives us hope. But what we fail to understand is hope for what? See, many of us think that or somehow we've been, we've been given this idea that as long as we get our past forgiven, then we get to skip from there into heaven, like, like some place in the future, right? I remember reading the stories. I don't know if you ever read these, but we used to get these missionary stories. You ever get those when you're younger or you get these stories from the mission field? And I remember one particular one. I don't know the details, but the essence of it stuck with me. It was about a young man, uh, I think somewhere in, 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 uh, in, in Africa, part of a tribal, uh, uh, a tribal people, and a young man who missionaries had arrived, and after a lot of conflict, this young man had decided to be baptized and, and become and accept the death of Jesus Christ. But he was concerned because his family, you know, his family uh, and, and the people of his village, and they threatened him, but he decided to go ahead and be baptized. In and, and the Mission Spotlight story, it says that, that, that uh, his family didn't come to the celebration, and the missionary was out in open water, and, and the other members, a few of the people. But when he went down into the water, and he came back up, and as he stood up, an arrow came flying through the air and killed him. And they celebrated that he, he had sealed his decision with his death. And I remember thinking, whoa, how lucky is that? Weird, right? Because I was caught up in this idea that the, the second you're baptized, your most holy moment, you've just been forgiven. And if they take you right there, then, right? You're going to get, you're certainly not going to mess it up. See, we've been sort of kind of lulled into this idea that that Christ is just trying to redeem our past and then uh, uh, when we receive forgiveness, uh, then our next step is just to get there. Oh, when you come in your heavenly glories, oh Lord, and that great, But, but Paul is saying, nah, friends, there's a whole life to live between here and there. So he says, understand, Yes, your past has been paid for, but Jesus Christ resurrected. And when he resurrected, he invited you to resurrect from your old old life into a new life. And there is a new life to be lived. And the goal is not to make it to heaven, but to bring heaven on earth. The goal isn't to get away from this. It is to transform this life and the experience of the people that live in this life. So he says, and to do that, you each have been given grace as Jesus Christ himself decided to do it. You see that? But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned. Apportioned means the one who, the one who divides and the one who gives out. And Paul is saying here, look, he paid for your past, but now he is portioned out a new future for you. And he has decided specifically what part of this new future you're going to play. So your life, you're sitting here, your breath, your movements, your choices, your decisions are supposed to be part of God's plan. Well, he has a plan, whether or not you'll be part of it, it's kind of up to you. But Paul wants us to understand Grace has been given, not just grace for forgiveness of sins, but grace for the living of a new life. So we began our conversation here last week as Paul was saying, let me give you some how-to tips. Number one, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient and put up with each other. I find this fascinating, I mentioned it during uh, second service, how in his... his, uh, in his instructions for how to be a christian listen carefully paul doesn't say study more do you see that he doesn't say look learn a lot although that's important in his in the beginning this, at the beginning of his conversation on how to be a christian paul says get into relationship bear with one another in love paul says be humble be patient bear with one another make every effort to keep the bond of peace he says look you got to understand in the old ways you used to live for yourself and by yourself you did what you wanted when you wanted we all did it at one point but that way of living is dead this new life in this new life Paul says and you'll see it as we read the rest of pieces in this new life God has raised us up not a single people but as sons and daughters of one family part and members of the same family one God one father one spirit One baptism. And we are all part of this community. So he raised us up, not as individuals, but as a community. We now belong and are responsible to each other. But to each one of us, grace has been given. You see it? You see the picture? Where you were before, you're on your own, isolated, fatherless, orphan. But Jesus Christ died for that life. And has invited you into a new one. And in this new one, and in this new one, you are part of a family. You're not alone. You're not an individual. You're not meant to be. You're meant to make it on your own and figure it out on your own and grow yourself. Paul says, but to each one of us, grace has been given. As Christ apportioned it. Each one of us, think about that for a second. That includes you. You're not just another face in the crowd. You are not just another person in the bunch. You are specifically assigned a portion of God's grace for the building of the community. You matter. You absolutely matter. And you are necessary. You are necessary. Because you have been given grace not just for your past but for your future for our future each one of us my prayer is that we would capture that and live that with and for each other would you stand please as we sing together